Well, we are continuing in our series uh, in the book of Hebrews. This is our second week in the book of Hebrews. You can find the passage we're going to be looking at uh, printed in your bulletin. A few years back, we were on family vacation, and Jack and I decided to go kayak fishing. And where we were fishing really wasn't very far from the dock we'd been fishing at off of. We really just wanted to get a little bit closer to the to the fishing hole, and so we took our kayaks over there and we were fishing and at some point I had to, to fix something on one of the fishing rods and I had left my tackle box on the dock because it wasn't that far away and I, and I paddled back over to the side of the dock and I got what I needed out of the tackle box and I had the fishing rod in my hand I, I changed the hook or something and I took my paddle because it was in the way in the boat and I laid it on the dock and you might guess what happened next I started slowly drifting away from the dock and I realized I didn't have a paddle, and I, so I started like trying to reach to get back before I drifted down the creek, and, and guess what happened next? I wound up in the creek. Uh, my kayak flipped over. My fishing pole is still there in the mud somewhere. Uh, but, but, but what happened? I was not paying attention to what I was doing. Well, yeah, I was paying attention. I was very, paying very close attention to that fishing rod, but I wasn't paying any attention at all to the dock and I drifted away from it. If there's one thing that the book of Hebrews is about, it's about the danger of drifting away from Jesus. The danger of starting the race that is the Christian life, but not finishing the race. And that brings up all kinds of theological questions for us. Can, can Christians lose their salvations and, and salvation and this, that, and the other? And we're actually not going to talk about that today, because Hebrews is going to address this over and over so so we'll get back to that at some point but we're going to talk today about the danger of drifting away uh, and how we can keep from drifting away and so uh, let me read this for us this is God's word and we're going to begin in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 and really where we're going to be picking up today in our discussion is going to be in verse 4 but I want to read this all to remind us of our of the context Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up, like a garment they will be changed, but you're the same, and your years will have no end. 
And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Just pray with me. Father, this is your word, and I I thank you for giving it to us. Um, I thank you for the opportunity to proclaim it, and pray that you'd help me to speak clearly, uh, that you would remove the barriers in our hearts and lives that might uh, keep us from hearing, and that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to believe your scriptures. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, just as a reminder as we get going, the, the, the book of Hebrews was written originally to Jewish people who had converted to Christianity. And so they've embraced Jesus as the Messiah, but now they're thinking about abandoning G- Jesus and going back to some form of Judaism. And Hebrews is written to warn them about the danger of leaving Jesus and to remind them how much better Jesus is than anything that they could turn to. And the first thing that the reader, excuse me, the author wants to convince his readers of is that Jesus is better than angels. Now, all right, to, to us, that's kind of like hearing, well, the Hilton is better than the Econo Lodge. You're like, well, yeah, I kind of know. I've, I've been in the church that Jesus is better than angels. Uh, but honestly, if our conception of angels has been sort of the ceramic figurines that you used to find in in Christian bookstores, and and maybe you still do, but it's hard for us to get our minds around what a temptation it was for these early believers to be, to to worship angels even. But if you think about it, angels in the Bible are a really big deal. They're a really big deal. In fact, in Revelation 22, you remember John is there and he's had these visions. He says, I heard and saw these things. And I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. So John is there before this angel, and he falls down to worship the angel. And the angel says, no, 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 you, you, you can't do this. I'm a servant just like you. Get up. You, you can't worship me. But you get the idea. Angels are so majestic that if they were to appear and manifest their presence among us, we too would be tempted to worship. Uh, Hebrews 2, 2 that we just read refers to the message declared by the angels. And that's a reference to the giving of the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. Throughout the Old and New Testaments, you'll see other references to the fact that the angels accompanied God when he gave the law to Moses at Mount Sinai. Deuteronomy 33 speaks of God coming down with ten thousands of his holy ones. Acts 7 speaks of the law that was delivered by angels. Uh, Here in Hebrews 1, uh, we see what a big deal angels are because we're told they're a ministering spirit sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. They serve God's people. Uh, We see this in the Old Testament in 1 Kings. Elijah, you remember, is discouraged to the point of wanting to die, and an angel comes and ministers to him 
and encourages him. Daniel is thrown into the lion's den, and an angel comes and seals the mouths of the lions. In Acts, an angel breaks Peter out of prison. And so we see the angels are these ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Uh, I, I heard someone say that if God were ever to take us and show us a film of our lives and reveal to us, like, let us see the angels that were involved in protecting us and watching over us and this, that, and the other, that we would be absolutely amazed. That we would be blown away by the unseen things that have been going on around us all the time. And so they're, they're a big deal. In fact, they're such a big deal that some Jewish sects at the time of the writing of Hebrews, um, they thought there were actually going to be two messianic figures. They thought there was going to be a kingly messianic figure and a priestly messianic figure, but neither of them were going to be in charge. The archangel Michael was actually going to be over both of them, and so these two messiahs were going to be subordinate to the archangel Michael. And that may be why the author of Hebrews leads off with this. He's saying, no, 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 guys. Jesus is not subordinate. Yes, angels are a big deal. Yes, angels were involved in in the giving of the law. They were a big deal, but they weren't that big a deal. And you are misunderstanding how important Jesus really is. And you're misunderstanding who he really is. Now, before we go there and and, and walk through some of of what he says here, you may still be saying, well, this still doesn't seem very relevant to me. I mean, I, I know that Jesus is better than angels. Please tell me that you didn't bring me here to talk to me for 30 minutes about why Jesus is better than angels. There have to be other things I could do with my time. Well, maybe you don't think angels are better than Jesus. But maybe there's something in your life that you do think is better than Jesus. Something that's captured your imagination. Something that's captured your heart, that's captured your checkbook, that's captured your time or attention. And just like I was focused on that fishing pole in the boat and slowly drifted away, something may have captured your attention. Something is better than Jesus for you and you're slowly drifting away from Jesus. Uh, We lived in Boone for several years and it was an interesting place to live and we lived there it was the home of Samaritan's Purse and Appalachian State University and a transcendental meditation center with its own fire department and I think they had their own police force even it was home to Linville Ridge and Hound Ears and and these beautiful resort areas it was home to National Forest and, and campgrounds it was home to Eustace Conway, who some of you have seen on the, the History Channel on Mountain Men. He's one of the mountain men that was, he's going out there and I'm, I'm going to live off the land and, and, and that kind of thing. And, and I thought about that and I can just see in all of those the different stories of salvation that we try to build our lives on. Stories that we find are better than the Jesus story. We're going to find salvation through education. Just higher learning is going to make everything better are through alternative new age spiritualities and and, and I'll just become one with the universe and everything is going to be okay. Or I'll escape to the mountains and just get away from everything. I'll just be in the outdoors and and that'll make everything okay. Or I can be like Eustace Conway and just get off the grid and, and 
say the heck with the corporations, the evil corporations, I'm going to be here and, and do my own thing. And what was funny actually was Eustace Conway and the Transcendental Meditation people kind of fought the whole time over buying land, but that, that's just kind of an aside. Um, maybe none of those have, are things that specifically have captured you, but maybe something else has. Maybe it's CrossFit that's become more than just CrossFit. Maybe it's your organically sourced local foods, whatever free they are. And, and, and as fine as that is, that that's what's captured you. This perfect diet is going to make sure that my family is okay. Maybe it's politics. Maybe it's athletics. Maybe it's a hobby. That something has become, without you even really realizing it, the thing that has consumed you and the thing that for you is actually now better than Jesus. Um, this is from a column by a guy named Bart Swain. He was, he was commenting on the new perspectives on Paul, which, which I'm not going to get into explaining right now, but I, I just want you to hear the quote as a whole, and I think you'll, you'll hear how this applies. My own suspicion is that the new perspective achieved popularity mainly because young Protestant ministers would rather talk about inclusion and breaking barriers than about the guilt of sin and the pointlessness of trying to erase it by a regimen of good deeds. That's understandable. But surely the old message hasn't lost its relevance. Even in this permissive, materialistic age, people go to extraordinary lengths to atone for their guilt. Consider the vast numbers of Americans who spend their days maniacally trying to prove their upright status in the eyes of secular deities conspicuously announcing their support for enlightened causes, loudly denouncing bigotry and xenophobia, proclaiming their sympathy with the marginalized and their loyalty to ethically manufactured products. How delightful it might be to hear that salvation is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should virtue signal. And I think what's interesting is think it can illustrate to us that, that maybe what we're caught up in is just a repackaged justification by works, an attempt to justify ourselves by having the right opinions and being on the right side of history and by buying the right products. And we're so caught up in being right about everything. Whatever it is that you're right about, whether you're conservative or liberal, we're so caught up in being right about everything that we're no longer looking at the only one who can actually make us righteous in Jesus Christ. And so the author of the Hebrew says to us, Jesus is better than angels. And he says to us, Jesus is better than the perfect diet and is better than your cause. And it's better than trying to establish your own righteousness. And so maybe he does have something to say to us. Well, how is Jesus better specifically? Well, first of all, he tells us Jesus has a better name than angels. Look at, look at verse um, 5 and 6. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I'll actually stop there. He starts here by quoting two Old Testament scriptures. He quotes from Psalm 2 and then from 2 Samuel uh, as well. Psalm 2 promises that the Davidic king is one day going to inherit the throne and rule the nations and rule the world. Uh, verse 7 specifically is about the installation of the Davidic king. And in that context, the word beginning is referring to his 
ascension to the throne. It's referring to him being installed as king. And so what the writer to the Hebrews is telling us is that Jesus is that Davidic king. He is the son of God who has ascended to the throne and who has been installed as king. He is the son of God. He's not just an angel. There's a number of times in the New Testament where we see Jesus, where the Father specifically refers to Jesus as his son. Uh, we see it at Jesus' baptism. You are my son. With you I am well pleased. You see it at the transfiguration. This is my son. We hear it in the announcement of Jesus' birth. He will be the son of God. Uh, we hear it in Romans 1 that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. In Roman society, when a son kind of came of age, if he had jumped through all the hoops that he was supposed to jump through, he was given the family name in a very formal way. Even though he was already a son, and even though he already had the family name, it was bestowed upon him in a public and formal way. In the resurrection, uh, the father is giving this name son. This is the son to Jesus. It's bestowed upon him in a formal way because he has approved of the work that Jesus has done, and he's given evidence to that by raising him from the dead. This is my son, this is the son. This is the promised king. And he's so much better than angels, y'all. Um, a lot of us battle. This is a little bit of a side. A lot of us battle with wanting to be approved of by other people. I was just reading a biography of Johnny Cash. And it was interesting how much he craved his father's approval. And wanted, him to, wanted to hear him say, I'm proud of you. And how he, he hardly ever heard him say that. And he would introduce him to famous people. And he would take him to, to the White House or show him where he'd been. And he just wanted to hear him say, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of what you've done. And a lot of us feel that. We want to hear our dad say, I'm, I'm proud of you. I accept you. I approve of what you've done. And that spills over into our relationship with God. How can we know that he is proud of us? How can we know that he approves of what we've done? It's only as we find ourselves in Jesus Christ. Because God has already approved of his son. He's shown that in giving them this name. You are the son. You are the Davidic king. He has placed his seal of approval on the work of Christ. And if we are in Christ through faith, then he has placed his seal of approval on us as well. Because when he sees you, he sees his son. And you are welcome in the father's house because you're one of the son's companions. You are given the name child of the king. You're the, given the name son of God with a little s because you're united to the son of God by faith. And that's a much better identity and a much more secure identity than president of the bank or president of the student body or senior partner. It's a better affirmation than even your earthly father can ever give you. It's a better affirmation than you can get by collecting all the angel statues in the world. It's an affirmation that you can only get if you know the son. The son. He's got a better name. Secondly, Jesus is better than angels, we're told in verse 6. It says, let all God's angels worship him. He's better than angels because angels worship him. 
You know, if, if, if anyone ever tells you that Christians, early Christians didn't really believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> then I would say get, get them to read Hebrews. And specifically get, to, get them to read Hebrews chapter 1. The angels worshipped him. Angels only worship God. And here they are worshipping Jesus Christ. If you read the gospel accounts, you'll notice that when people worship Jesus, he doesn't say like the angels did. The angels just say, no, 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 you can't worship me. Jesus doesn't stop anyone from worshipping him. Because he's aware of, of who he is. And so the, the question for you this morning is, who are you bowing to? Who are, who are you worshiping? It's not better than Jesus. Uh, thirdly, in verse 7, and I won't read all these, but he basically says, angels are servants, y'all. Angels are servants. And then he says, of the, he says, of the Son, your throne, O God. And so you hear him again, of the Son, your throne, O God. Again, referring to Jesus Christ as God himself. He refers to him as the king, and then in verse 10 through 12, he refers to him as the creator. And he's saying, y'all, angels are just servants. Jesus is the creator and king, and you're talking about walking away from him. That's crazy talk. You, you can't walk away from Jesus. You know, some people think the Jesus story is a crazy story. And so we turn to alternative stories to explain the world and the universe and, and where we are. I was, I was reading Elon Musk. The, the story that he believes in is that we're all living in a matrix-like simulation of reality, that this isn't actually reality, but we're living in a matrix-like simulation, and there are multiple other simulations going on at the same time. And I was, I was talking to a friend, and he's like, you wouldn't believe how many people I come across that believe that. That, that that's actually the reality that we're living in. And I was, and I was like, why do, why do people buy that? And I, and I wonder if it's because on the one hand, people don't want to live with the despair of thinking that this is just a materialistic universe and we're just all here by chance and, and nothing really matters and it's just chemical reactions. And so we're kind of this, people are coming to see that the materialistic view of reality is a hopeless view. But we're not to the place where we want to have somebody rule over us. We're not to the place where we're willing to submit to a king, and so we, we try to find another worldview that will give us hope. And we'll turn to almost anything before we'll bow down to a king. Even if that king is the only one who can give our lives meaning. Even if that king is the one who rules all things. Even if that king is the only one who can give us true love. Even if that king is the only one who can wipe the slate clean. When it comes to our sins. The Jesus story. Is a better story. Because Jesus is a better savior. Now. I started to try to intentionally make that part of the sermon. More boring than it, than it was. Um, because we, like, we read these Old Testament stuff. And I could have explained all those. And I started to drone on about that. For like 15 minutes or so. And just see what happened. To make a point. Um, but then I got scared to do that. Um, to, to make the point that we get bored with the Jesus story. We get, we get bored with the Jesus story. Like, like we, we hear this all the time. Yeah, Jesus is king, creator, savior, justification, sanctification, got, got, got it. Something's, yeah, yeah okay. But the NBA playoffs are overnight. 
Have y'all seen Golden State? The NBA playoffs are on tonight, or they're on last night. And we've got tickets to see whoever it is in concert. And I've got this project that I've got to get done for work. And this is a really hard season of life that I'm going through right now. And, man, we're going to have such a good time if we go out and get wasted Friday night. You should, you should come with us. I'll only be on social media for just, just, just a few more minutes, and then I'm going to get off. Have you tried the new restaurant down on Kidney Street? I, this is a great beer. Have you tried this beer yet? There's a place downtown that serves that. Clemson just got an eight-star recruit, y'all. He's 500 pounds and 10 feet tall and looks just like Dabo Sweeney. It's unbelievable. And we've got to focus all of our energy on getting this person out of all. Have you seen the new Breaking Bad sequel? No, I was watching The Office for the eighth time. Now, some of those are not so good things. Some of those are fine things to be enjoyed, and I'll let you sift through um, all of that. But there can be a whole lot of things that we're looking at instead of looking at Jesus. And we're sitting at the boat, sitting in the boat, looking at all these things, and we're slowly drifting away from Jesus. The good things, and a lot of those are good things, are distracting us from the best things. So what do we do? What do we do? Chapter 2 here says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention. Pay, pay closer attention to what? To, to what we have heard, it says. Well, what is it that we've had heard? Verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard. The what that we have to pay much closer attention to is this message of the gospel. <clears throat> the gospel that speaks of what's wrong with the world. The gospel that speaks of the sin that separates us from God. This gospel that speaks of how we can be made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done at the cross. And so you might say that the author of Hebrews is saying this, guys, you've got to pay much closer attention to Jesus. To Jesus. But what, is, what does that look like? What does that involve? Well, it, it may mean paying less attention to some other things. In uh, the story of the, his, his, his meeting with a rich young ruler, Jesus tells him to go and sell everything because he's paying too much attention to his wealth and his possessions. And so I think we have to ask ourselves, what, what am I paying attention to? What am I paying attention to? Is there something that's taking the place of Jesus in my life? What am I looking to to gain power or control? Where, where am I going to try to escape the difficulties of life? Where am I looking for refuge? Where am I getting my sense of righteousness from? What's consuming my time and my energy? Am I paying attention to Jesus or am I in the boat staring at something else? Secondly, we have to use the means that God has given us to pay attention to Jesus. Uh, we read in the shorter catechism a couple of weeks ago, it encouraged us to, a, to the diligent use of the ordinary means whereby God communicates to us the benefits of redemption. And so those ordinary means we have to give diligent use to uh, are, the, are prayer and scripture 
and the sacraments. We have to, to, to use these things that, that God has given us. And I think here's where we get this wrong. And here's where we go astray, especially if you've been in the church a long time. Because we hear, again, okay, he said, I need to read my Bible more. And I need to pray more. And I'm supposed to do that, so I guess I'll just, I'll just start doing that. And I'm supposed to be in church, so I guess I'll just start trying to, to be more regular about that. And we can become like somebody who, who knows that the water pipes in their house are leaking and damaged. And we go and we spend all this time working on the pipes. And we get the water flowing great. And then we take pictures and we post them on social media. And we just turn the water. Oh, yeah, this, isn't this great? These pipes in my house are great. And we never drink the water. We become kind of obsessed with the structure we can do that with the means of grace. We can kind of become obsessed with getting all this just right and forget that this is actually here for us to commune with Jesus. For us to have fellowship with Jesus. For us to, to, to dine with Jesus. We use the means of grace so that we can pay attention to Jesus. Not just because there's something that Christians are supposed to do. But that might mean to find the margin to make use of those means of grace that you've got to quit paying so much attention to something else. And, and I don't know what that is for you. And then, then thirdly, I'll just say, the book of Hebrews continually reminds us that we have to encourage one another in this. We have to, to come aside one another and say, hey, what do you have your eye on? What are you, what are you paying attention to? What's captured your heart? Are you, are you paying attention to Jesus. Uh, several years ago, I was I was still working for RUF at Appalachian State, and we were down at summer conference where Matt and the Wofford students are heading this next week. And it's, on, it's at Laguna Beach, just outside of Panama City. And each year, each minister is assigned a responsibility, a job for the week. And my responsibility that week was beachfront. And so we were kind of in charge of recreation and stuff going on on the beachfront. And I specifically was delegated to the crew that was in charge of the catamarans. And the deal with the catamarans was this. Because of insurance, students, even though they might have been sailing from the time they were four, could not take the catamarans out. A campus minister had to sail the boat, even if the campus minister had never been on a boat in his life. Th thank you, insurance regulations. And so the guy who rents the catamarans came and trained all of us and we spent the week taking students who had no idea, we didn't know what we were doing, out into the Gulf of Mexico. And, and one guy, like, broke the boat trying to, it was just like, this, for the most part, they were fine. And they had life jackets on, so it was, it was okay. But, but, but one day, we, we got out there, and the winds were just kind of crazy that day. They were, they were kind of dead. They were blowing in a weird direction. I don't, I don't know, something nautical was going on. And, <laughs> and, and so I got out there with these students and I couldn't get back. And so I'm supposed to be coming back here and I'm, I'm out here in the Gulf and, I, and I, keep, I can't get there and I keep turning around and playing with the sail. And finally I realized I can get in the shore, I just can't get into where I'm supposed to go. And I was like, well, we, we can walk when we get there. And so I just took the boat here and we walked down the beach to where we're supposed to be. Well, about the time I get in, I turn around and I look and a friend of mine is halfway to Cuba with his students. <laughs> And the guy who had rented the catamarans has shown up at this point, 
And he, he gets somebody with a jet ski and he hops on the back of the jet ski and they take him out there and he jumps on the catamaran and they were back to shore in like 30 seconds. <laughs> he was so frustrating. He's like, because, because he, knew, he knew what he was doing. I, I'm convinced that if he hadn't gone out there, those people would still be on their way to Cuba. Um, some of you may be drifting this morning. You, you, just, you may not be aware of it. You're, you're just drifting. You're slowly drifting away, <coughs> away from Jesus. And through this message, God is making you aware of that. And it's like Jesus is pulling up alongside of you on the jet ski. And he's saying to you, let me take you back to shore. I can get you back to shore. I can get you home. Won't you come home with me? Stop drifting and come home. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, um, Thank you for these, these warnings in Scripture that you use to keep us and to call us home. And, and they are sobering, and, and they do rub us the wrong way sometimes. And I, uh, I pray, though, that they wouldn't do that this morning, uh, that you would soften our hearts, that you would see uh, maybe the ways we focus on the wrong things and, and we ourselves are in danger of drifting away. So, Jesus, would you, would you come get us this morning? And would you be so kind to bring us back to shore? We pray it in your name. Amen.